there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. So I'm sorry about that, but that's who I am. And so this morning, 
I could be your preacher or I could be your teacher. And so you can help me out a little bit by, by, by kind of vocalising, not only your support for the scriptures, but vocalising that stuff in your heart that goes, yes, yes, I believe that. I know that that is true. And get involved. Is that okay? Amen, 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 amen. My heart's intention this morning is not to bring out some um, how to live points from the message or what we should do with our Christianity points. If it's okay with you, I'm not going to be practical. I just want us to camp around wow. Is that okay? We're not going to be going for what or how to our faith, but I'm believing this morning that there'll be a wow that rises up in our hearts that we just go, man, I just want to praise this kid more than ever. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Come on. Come on, okay. So we've just read the Palm Sunday scriptures. Jesus is riding into town. I want to ask a question. What's so important about a donkey? What is so important about a donkey? Anyone got any clues? Anyone understand? Why was Jesus so intense about that? Go and fetch me a donkey, would you? There's two reasons that donkeys in these scriptures are so very important. The two reasons I want to pull out this morning are one. Prophecy, and the second is another P, posture. The donkeys in this story are so important because there's something prophetic that Jesus wants to do through such an animal, and there's something about posture that he wants to make a point about. Is that okay? God had been promising the arrival of his son, the sin-conquering, death-defying Messiah, not from the year zero and just throughout Jesus' life, but you could go all the way back to Genesis and discover that God had been talking about the day that his son, the Messiah, would come. Yeah. All the way back in Genesis. Yeah. A little Bible, Bible education for you is that Genesis is not the oldest book in the Bible. What? What? It's at the start. Is the Bible not chronological? No, it is not. The oldest book in the Bible is, in fact, anyone know? The book of Job. Some scholars reckon the book of Job might be 6,000 years old. How about that? Let me tell you what Job says. The oldest book in the Bible says this. Job says this to God one day. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Job, the oldest book in the Bible. The idea of God saving the Messiah was not a new idea when Jesus rocked up. It was as ancient as Job. Wow. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, he will stand on the earth. <laughs> 700 years before Jesus was born, there's a prophet called Isaiah. We've read a chapter from Isaiah a little earlier. And in, in, in the book of Isaiah, God speaks to his prophet and says, this is, where, this is where the Messiah is going to be born. This is going to be his nature. This is going to be his character. This is what he's going to do. The people in the darkness will see a great light. Do you remember that? Christmas scriptures. And then a little more recently, just 500 years ago, there's a prophet called Zechariah. And the people of Israel have been kicked out of their homeland for, for many hundreds of years. And they've recently been brought back to their homeland. And Zechariah, a contemporary of Haggai, another one of the minor prophets you'll see in the Old Testament, he gets to speak the word of God because God inspires him and tells him how you would recognize the Messiah when he appears. Are you with me? Job said what? I know my Redeemer lives and in the end he will appear on the earth. Isaiah prophesied this is where he will be born. This is what his character will be. This is what he will do for the people. And then we've got Zechariah who says, watch out. I'm going to give you a clue, says God, as to how he's going to appear. How are you going to recognize him? Wait. 
You see, here's the thing. Zechariah prophesied that 500 years before Jesus. And between Zechariah, 500 years passed until Jesus. And in that 500 year gap between Zechariah saying, look out, I'm going to tell you what to look for. And when Jesus actually came, there had been many messiahs. Hello? Many messengers of God. Many warlike kings that had taken back what the enemy had stolen and restored Israel. But none of those messiahs, none of those kings or none of those rulers added up to what Zechariah told us Jesus would appear like. They came with their war horses and they came with their chariots. And they came with their messages and they came with their desire to build an empire. That's not how Zechariah prophesied the messiah would come. Let's get the scripture of Zechariah. Let's see what this is all about. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. This Messiah will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Sounds like a dry, nasty place. Sounds quite heavy. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. That's an oxymoron if ever I heard one. Prisoners of hope. We have got, we've got any prisoners of hope in the church this morning. People whose hearts are captivated by the truth that I, am, I, am, I belong in a place called hope. I'm happy to be a prisoner to the hope that is in Jesus. Amen? Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. God of the double portion right there. Wow. So remember, that scripture is 500 years before Jesus turns up on a what? On a donkey. What's so important about a donkey is that God had prophesied through his servant five half a millennium before Jesus appeared that he would arrive, not with war horses and chariots, but riding on a donkey. Why is Jesus so intent on fulfilling that prophecy? It's because of this. If God speaks, he will fulfill it to the last detail. Did you hear me this morning, church? If he says it's going to be a certain way, it's going to be a certain way. God is not a breaker of promises. God is not a tease that he would lead you on. When God speaks, he does what he says he will. Is that good news this morning? So the first thing that we can get excited about on Palm Sunday is that prophecy, one, matters. Number two, prophecy should encourage your soul. Number three, when God speaks, he's going to do it. Are you with me this morning? Let me paraphrase that scripture. The scripture will stay on there, but let me give the peak right kind of like paraphrase. Jerusalem, there's a day coming when you will see the Messiah. Hello? Yeah. The king will be righteous. He'll be perfect in all his ways. He is victory personified, but gentle and humble with him. His humility will be known by the vehicle of his travel, a donkey, not a show-stopping stallion. He won't come with chariots or war horses. There'll be no fighting the day enters. He will proclaim peace, not war. He will be about all the nations, not just one nation. His kingdom will not be limited to a national border, but extended to every human heart. His covenant will be declared by his own blood shed. He will bring freedom. His covenant uh, will last forever. He will return you to your fortress, God himself. He is your refuge. Where you have been a slave to sin and death, you will become a prisoner of hope. 
locked into hope eternal. He's the God of the double portion. Church, God exists, God speaks, and he delivers on what he promises. Are you ready to have your minds blown? We've got anyone who's, who's into mathematics at all? I like that. Good on you. Good on you. Yes, guys. Go on. Go on. You little slots. I was the English and humanities guy. I could sneeze an essay and get a good grade, but maths and science, nah, mate. So I admire you, mathematicians. A few years ago, I just want to encourage you, like, there are literally hundreds, I'm excited, aren't I? There are literally hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus, all the way through the Old Testament. Hundreds, between three to four hundred prophecies. Things that God said by his Holy Spirit through prophets to help us look out for the, for the Messiah when he came. Three to four hundred prophecies. Do you know the probability of one person fulfilling all of those, prophet, uh, those prophecies is? Do you know what the probability of you winning the lottery is? One in however many millions played the lottery that week. Might have became the lottery. Do you know how likely it is that you'll get the job you dreamed of when you're a little boy or a little girl? Do you know what the probability is that you'll, that, that you'll meet the person of your dreams and marry them in the exact year that you plan? Do you know what the probability of life is? Man, we can't even begin to do the maths, or we can, some genius can. Jesus fulfilled three to four hundred Old Testament prophecies. But because that sum was too big to work out its probability, a mathematician called Dr. Stoner. <laughs> True story. A mathematician in America called Dr. Stoner. Maybe he was Californian, I don't know. <laughs> Dr. Stoner, he, he decided it's too big a concept to work out the probability of three to four hundred prophecies being fulfilled by one person, so we'll just go with eight. Yeah. What's the probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled by one person in the way that they were fulfilled by Jesus? So to say, the results would be one hundred followed by fifteen zeros. That, my friends, is technically known as one in a hundred quadrillion. One in one hundred quadrillion chances of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies from the Old Testament. And yet Jesus fulfilled three to four hundred. And they say that the Holy Scriptures were just thrown together. They say that the Bible is just chance and just things put together and man-made. You've got three to four hundred scriptures attesting to the same Messiah and he fulfills every single one with odds like that. My goodness me. Would you invest your money, would you invest even one pound if the odds were 100 quadrillion against you? Of course you wouldn't. It must have been God. It must have been written this way. It must have been designed. It must have been purposed this way. Undoubtedly, Jesus was and is and always will be the Christ, the Messiah, the perfect Lamb of God, the Redeemer, the Sanctifier, the long-awaited, now-celebrated Saviour of the world. It was always going to be the case in this man, because even the way he arrived fulfilled <coughs> prophecy. So the second thing is, we've looked at prophecy, and it's just so encouraging, because so much hope, because God really does speak, and really does follow through with what he says. And then the second thing about donkeys is posture. 
The scriptures say that this Saviour, this Messiah, is not going to turn up on war horses and chariots and kind of make a big rush entry. This Messiah will come in riding on a donkey. Not just any donkey, a young donkey, a cult of a donkey. A little baby donkey. Sometimes I read the scripture and it makes me think that he was riding two at the same time, one leg on each, kind of like bouncing through. I don't think that's what it means, but I don't like think it's possible. That would have drawn a crowd. She's not that boy from Nazareth, you can donkey sir. <laughs> but the posture of Jesus' arrival is incredibly important. Because this Jesus, though he is king of kings, Though nothing in creation was created except by him and through him. Though he is powerful, and though he, he exacts judgment against sin and death with all the passion of heaven, he's also humble and gentle in heart. My brother told me this years ago, and it's always stuck with me, the one thing we find out about the personality, the kind of person Jesus was, by his own lips, he says, come to me, will you who are weary and burdened? I am gentle and humble in heart. The fact that he rode in on a donkey that day was a, was a huge, wide open metaphor for I'm coming to town, but I'm not coming with violence. I'm not coming with uh, I'm not coming with with, with, a, with, with, a, with a rod. I'm not coming with a with a harsh tone. I'm just coming, Jesus. I love you. I'm gonna lay my life down for you. I'm gonna lift you up and get who you are. Wow. I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus does not call us to be downtrodden subjects of the crown, but to be raised up as citizens of heaven. Are you with me this morning? He does not call us to be slaves. He calls us to be co-servants, arm in arm, loving God and loving life together with him. Jesus comes to share his power with us. Anyone need a miracle in this place? He comes to share his power with us. Jesus, by his own mouth, shortly before Palm Sunday, says, Listen, the Son of Man, me, Messiah, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve you. That's our Messiah. So important about donkeys, I'll tell you what. Prophecy and posture, that's what's important about donkeys. <laughs> let's flip it, let's go somewhere else. As we read the Palm Sunday story, we might wonder where on earth did the crowds come from in the first place? Where did the crowds come from? How was there suddenly thousands of people? Was it suddenly? Did Jesus just magic them there? No, no, no. There's a, there's a building up. There's something going on. There were two crowds in that area that collided that day. Two crowds that ended up colliding in Jerusalem together. The first crowd was already in Jerusalem. Because just a few days' time, it was going to be the biggest festival in the Jewish calendar, the festival of Passover. And so what you would do as a, as a good, honourable, God-fearing Jewish man or woman, is you would take yourself and your family, you would go to the temple, and you would get yourself right with God before the festival. And so from all over Israel, known as Palestine at the time, over all of that area... Jews would go to the temple, get themselves right with God in Jerusalem. So there was already a crowd building in the capital city. Does that make sense so far? They were there for a party. They were there to remember when a few thousand years before, Moses led the people of God out of slavery and into freedom. Interesting timing for Jesus to turn up and do his things in Holy Week, eh? Moses himself prophesied there'll be another one like me who loosens the chains of slavery. Wow. Gosh, the prophecies are all over the place, isn't they? Thank you, God. 
So there's the first crowd already in Jerusalem. The other crowd, however, starts one month earlier. Have you ever watched uh, an episode of something that you really, really love and you'll be presented with the, with the main part of the story and then it will backtrack and go, previously or one month earlier. That's what we're doing right now. One month earlier, before we go to Palm Sunday, this is what happened. One month earlier, Jesus is out ministering and he gets a message from a town called Bethany. Bethany is not too far from um, it's not too far from Jerusalem itself. It'd be like walking from here to Wolverhampton city centre. It's not that far. Jesus gets a word from Bethany, and the word is this: that his best mate Lazarus is on his deathbed, and Lazarus's sisters Martha and Mary. Anyone ever heard of those guys? Martha and Mary write or get word to Jesus somehow wherever he is and say, "You need to come quick. Lazarus is dying." Oh my goodness! Lo and behold, by the time Jesus actually arrives. Lazarus had already been dead and buried for three to four days in a tomb covered with a stone. Whoa. Jesus gets to the sisters, he gets to Bethany, Lazarus is dead, his corpse is already starting to rot and stink. And the girls come to him and say, Jesus, if only you'd been here, this would never have happened. This would never have happened. Jesus cries his eyes out. Famously, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He cried his eyes out. His friend Lazarus was dead within a tomb. That ain't where the story finished. Jesus marches off, he goes straight to that graveyard, goes straight to that tomb, and he shouts with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! It's a good job he said it. And not just everyone get up out of the grave. Because some of them were meant to stay there. And at that moment, Lazarus comes out of the tomb. The stone is rolled away. The guy is in his burial clothes. What am I doing here? Jesus raised his mate from the dead. If we can, if we just take a really simple point away from that story, if you're a friend of Jesus, he's going to raise you from the dead. Let me say that again, because you don't believe it. If you're a friend of Jesus, he's going to raise you from the dead. If I die on the spot right now, someone would pray for me, and if it's not God's will for my earthly life to be over, I would be raised to life. I believe that. Do you believe that? One day, as an old man, Lazarus did die, and he stayed dead. One day I will die, and I will stay dead. But my life will be resurrected instantly into the presence of Jesus. Hello? And then one day, come on, let's get end times now. And then one day, at the end of days, there will, be a, there will be a trumpet call and the dead will be raised to life. Let me tell you the truth of the gospel. The weirdest bit of the gospel, perhaps, is this. That if you are a friend of Jesus, you will be raised to life. And in those end days, it won't be the body that I've got now, thank goodness, rubbing lipomas and scars and dodgy knees. One day I'll have a glorified body and so will you. It will last forever. Wow. What a crazy set of beliefs we have. Oh, what a wonder. I'll press into that all right. The people are going nuts, as you can imagine. Bethany's on fire. Everyone's going like crazy. Oh, oh my gosh. Everyone knew Lazarus was. It's a small knit community. They say about here, don't they? It's whispered in Upper Gornal. It's shouted in Lower Gornal by the afternoon. Right? Like Bethany's like a small place, and everyone knows who Lazarus is. They've all been mourning with the family, haven't they? And, um, and, so, and so there's a crowd of guys, right? Now, the authorities are already after Jesus. Is everyone okay? You still with me? Yeah. 
All right, is my enthusiasm too tired or are you going to be all right? Okay, so, so here we go. So, the, so there's a crowd happening. The authorities are already hot on Jesus' tail, but it's not yet his time to be killed on the cross. So Jesus, in his wisdom, he kind of retreats with his disciples and he goes to a quiet place. He gets out of the town, out of the business, and him and his lads and his girls, they go to a place called Ephraim. And it's over the other side of the river, Jordan. No one's coming over the other side of the river, Jordan. No one's going to bother Jesus there. So while he's in Ephraim, in the desert place, the other side of the river, Jordan, he sits down with his disciples, he teaches them parables, he explains things about the kingdom. Different people come to meet with him, and he shares quietly and, and beautifully. And, and then the time comes for him to start his final journey to Jerusalem. What's just happened? He's just raised his mate from the dead. He's just raised his mate from the dead. The heat's on, so he's got himself to a quiet place. But now it's time to make a final journey. First thing he has to do with his disciples is cross the Jordan. Does that remind you of anything? People of God taking the land in the Old Testament. And then he makes a beeline for a city called Jericho. Anyone remember the story of Jericho? The people of God praised and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Why? It's just like Jesus is kind of like living this all over again in the most magnificent way. And so he crosses the Jordan, he goes to Jericho, spends some time in Jericho, people are blessed. But then here's the reason why the crowd starts to build up again on the journey towards Jerusalem. Living in Jericho, two blind men. Two blind men. In Matthew, it just says two blind men. In the other Gospels, we're given the name of one of them, a lad called Bartimaeus. Living in Jericho, these two blind men, they would have heard the rumours about this man from Galilee, well, the man from Nazareth, the stuff that he'd been doing in Galilee, Galilee just a few miles away. They'd have been hearing the rumours of, of what he's capable of and what he's been doing, and there's two blind men. They're hoping for some kind of miracle. Do you know the scriptures say that faith comes by faith comes by faith comes by doing? No. Faith comes by a miracle? Not necessarily. I've seen miracles happen in people's lives and then walk away from God. Jesus had the same experience. Faith instead comes by hearing. The scripture finishes off and says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've already read the word of God, those Old Testament prophecies. It was, what, people were saying, oh my gosh, this, is this the guy that the scripture's been talking about the whole time? Faith comes by hearing. How did you come to faith? You heard about Jesus. You heard about Jesus. Listen, you can imagine these men talking amongst themselves. And Jesus is about to leave Jericho. And as he's leaving, I can imagine them talking to themselves without their sight, saying, you know, I, I hear, I hear, I hear he's kind to people like us. I hear that he stands up for the poor. I heard his disciples are from all walks of life. I heard that he lifts women up just as much as he does men. I heard he didn't even care about what country he come from. I heard he walked on water. Are you serious? Yeah. Well, I heard he forgives sin. I heard that he teaches with authority that no other leader in Israel has. He turned up 
we back to life. We might be blind, but I think we're catching a glimpse of God, mate. The scripture says this, Matthew 20, 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting on the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going right, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them, told them to shut up in the woods. But they shouted even louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. I love how specific these guys were. What do you want the Lord to do for you? What do you want the Lord to do for you? Ask him. What church do you want the Lord to do for you? What do you want him to do in this community, in this church, in your life? It says that Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Wow. Have you got a wow rising up this morning? What did they say? They said, Jesus, son of David. This title, son of David, left no illusions. The only person that was going to have the title Son of David was the true Messiah of God, the Saviour of the world. And so as they're shouting, Jesus, Son of David, everyone's going, shut up, shut up, mate. If you start saying that, the authorities are going to come down here and carry him off and kill him. And then they're like, no, I don't care. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. And instead of going, lads, seriously, pack him in. <laughs> Jesus goes up to me and says, says, what can I do for you? God, we want our sight. And their sight they receive. I want to encourage you today that it is the hearing about Jesus that led them to having faith in Jesus. And it's having faith in Jesus that led those men to receiving their sight. And it was receiving their sight that led them to follow him. The groundswell of suspecting Jesus was the Messiah was catching fire amongst the local population. Rumours and whispers of renewal and kindness and lives turned around. And now this. As Jesus leaves Jericho, he comes back to Bethany. Last time he was in Bethany, a dead man came back to life, and so if there wasn't a crowd with the blind man from Jericho, there certainly was one in Bethany, because everyone's back out on the streets going, he's back, he's back. And then, like especially donkey, he has a rest. The crowd that day were living a pre-Easter experience. Come, can I see come back up? that day we're living in a pre-Easter, a before-Easter experience. As you read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you will find that many of the people in that crowd, you know those two crowds that collided in Jerusalem that day? Many of the people in that crowd cheered him on Sunday, yet jeered him on Friday. They went from calling for their king to be crowned to choosing the king to be killed. No wonder why he's, while he's nailed upon the cross, he looks down at this crowd and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The crowd that day wanted a king, but God was looking to establish a kingdom. You see the difference? that they wanted to establish a king but Jesus had in his mind and heart the kingdom of God and it wasn't going to come with war horses and chariots 
it was going to come through the covenant paid for in his own blood. The crowd desired a warlord and a conquering king for their generation and for their nation. But God's desire was to establish an everlasting covenant of love for all nations and for all generations. There's a different crowd in this building this morning. Where's the crowd at? Where's the crowd at? Is there a crowd in here this morning? There's a different crowd in this place this morning. You are not a pre-Easter crowd. You are a post-Easter crowd. You know the whole story. So you better get your praise on right now. You're not a pre-Easter crowd. You're a post-Easter crowd. You know the full story of why you came. We live on the other side of salvation that's been delivered. We live in what they call the age of grace. We don't live under the law, but Jesus did what he had to do, and now we live in the age of grace, the age of salvation. The days where the Spirit of God is on the earth, and every man, woman, and child who puts their faith in him can allow him to make a home in their hearts. We're going to sing praise him, praise him. This crowd this morning can praise him for the whole story. This crowd this morning can praise him for prophecy fulfilled. This crowd this morning can praise him for setting the record straight. This crowd can shout, shout Hosanna to the Son of David and be confident that he truly is the Messiah. This crowd can look towards the cross. This crowd can look towards a resurrection this crowd can crown him king of their hearts. This crowd could sing praise him, praise him. Oh my soul, Jesus Christ is king. If you're in church this morning and you are unsure where your life is in terms of the relation between you and God, I encourage you that Jesus Christ this time next week we'll be celebrating that he rose from the dead. The reason that he died in the first place was to nail all your sin and shame down permanently. The reason he went to the cross was so that you'd never have to fear death because when you put your trust in him, he will raise you his friend to life. And if you are here this morning and you know that you have not given your heart and life to Jesus, in this moment you can say, God, come into my life. Jesus, I accept, I believe in you. I have heard that you are good. I have heard that you accept people like me. I have heard that these disciples of all walks of life, if you can save them, you can save me. Lord, I want you this morning. This Palm Sunday, is there anyone asking Jesus into their life? Tell the Lord what you want to do. Come on, let's stand this morning. His prophecies are true. His posture is towards you.
to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. Praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore for endless days. We will see your praise, oh Lord, oh Lord our God. The third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roll for Christ our King. Oh, oh.
Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.